Yeah. Yeah, let's go live. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited. We got Steve rejoining us once again. Stoked to have you. And uh, while I am excited, y'all should be too. Like the show, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff. Get your emails whenever we go live, which is, of course, every day for another four days. Now, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all, by all means, put them up in the comment section and we will engage those directly. Kind of like this one. Lisa jumped in here. Looking forward to this live podcast. Good to see you, Lisa. Uh, Pugs go moo. Is this time Pacific zone? It is. And if so, I'm going to have to wait a few hours. Well, we'll see you in a couple hours then. Fantastic. Um, today, we're going to be talking about teaching peace. But before we do that, Let's uh, get a quick intro, Steve. You want to give us a quick heads up? Who are you? Where you come from? All that good stuff. 10 to 15 seconds. Go. Go. Um, glad to be here, guys. It's always awesome to be on The Collective. Uh, Steve Wilson, high school teacher of 22 years, mountain bike coach of 22 years, uh, adventure type guy who loves to take on all things that come my way if I have the opportunity to. Nice. 12 seconds. Well done. I like it. He nailed it. Came in under time. Um, now... So teaching peace, what is teaching peace? What is, what is this concept? Well, teaching peace involves fostering a mindset that and skills that contribute to peaceful coexistence, conflict resolution, and understanding among individuals and communities. So a very simple, brief explanation so far today. But Steve, when I say teaching peace, what are your first thoughts? Well, as I was thinking about coming on today, my immediate reaction when I thought about the topic was having to differentiate between the idea of teaching personal peace and then teaching sort of a social or public sense of peace. I think that those two um, have to be separated because it's very hard to maintain uh, an outward sense of peace if your internal barometer for peace is, is not functioning in an optimal way. Um, when we see youth in the high school or, or littles or even, I mean, if a chunk of people have probably been out in the holiday traffic and in the holiday shopping over the last few days, there was an incredible um, lack of peace that I was feeling when I was in public spaces or parking lots or whatever the case may be. And when I had the opportunity to just engage with people a little bit, like in a very elementary sense, and this is where Sean and I feel, feel similarly aligned because, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And if somebody's acting wrong, and I'm there and I have the opportunity to, to speak peacefully about their wrongdoing, I'm going to take that opportunity because that I think is what serves the greater collective. And so I had the opportunity in, in, uh, in London drugs, there was a guy who was definitely on tilt a little bit. And I just looked at him and I said, Hey man, are you okay? And he didn't even know how to respond to me. And what I was hoping to tap into was just a little opportunity for him to have like a human interaction to help make him feel just as maybe a sense of peace or even a sense of safety. Like, Hey, you're okay. Like th there's no reason to have your guard up so hot right now. Um, so even just having that brief interaction with him publicly, I couldn't have done that unless I felt like I had a strong sense of peace personally, because if that had gone sideways or the fella did have an adverse reaction to my query, then if I wasn't feeling peaceful in that moment, that's when things escalate. And I feel like that's what I've been seeing um, a lot more of is just people looking for the escalation because their personal sense of peace is not optimized in any way, shape or form. I definitely am seeing it in the youth um, in the last couple of weeks of school before the Christmas break, there was just escalation everywhere. And I spent, a, I would say a chunk of my time um, just having conversations with people about what they were feeling so unsettled about. And I think peace is an interesting word because when you read it with the context that you just described, it's about maintaining um, almost a sense of order. Like if things are peaceful, that means the interactions between individuals are, are functional and peaceful in a sense of like non-confrontational. And I feel like it's okay to have confrontation as long as you can do so peacefully. And that comes from within. So that's where I think the conversation um, hopeful starts um, is that separation between personal peace and like public and social peace. I like it. I like it, Sean. What are your first thoughts? I like all that. There's lots there to dig into mm -hmm. for the rest of the podcast, for sure. Uh, the thing that comes to mind when I look at peace, teaching peace, is whether it's going to be taught actively or passively. So whether a person is going to be out there explaining how to do peace 
or whether a person is out there just being freaking peaceful, just demonstrating it rather than chirping about it. And they're both powerful. They, they can be used combined. They can be used to illustrate or teach through actively teaching, or they can be taught through passively demonstrating. So um, active and passive peace. This is going to be going down. A, there's a lot of good stuff to pull from here. And uh, before we dive too much into the conversation, I just want to hit on these real quick. United Tonka Truck or United Rentals Tonka Truck. Good morning, team. He's good to go. Winterstorm, good afternoon, team. Good to see you. And Lisa, again, jumping in here. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you. Um, so my first real thought on this, I want to go back to the um, the personal versus external, like the internal versus external piece. I think that's a good place to start because there are a lot of people out there that perhaps have a, a veneer of external peace. <laughs> like they, they can walk around looking peaceful, but are in immense turmoil on the inside. And that creates kind of a vibe um, that is difficult to interact with when you are at peace in my own, in, in my opinion, it's very difficult to interact with those people because there's not a lot of depth to engage in that, uh, to sit in a peaceful moment with someone else that doesn't have that uh, internal peace. But what are you guys' thoughts on interacting with other people with that internal versus external peace aspect? Steve, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? Yeah, I was having a great conversation with Travis the other day, and it was, I was trying to explain to him why I can't do the SkyTrain or public buses um, very well, or even airports for that matter, because um, I'm a very sensory person and I feel like I can, I can definitely tune into that veneer. Um, like people just put off a frequency when they're, when you can feel an internal, an internal turmoil. And I find that a challenge to be around, um, more so because I feel like just based on situational awareness, I don't like to be around energy that feels like it can escalate. Um, or I find that challenging to be around because it's like, then I'm constantly on alert of, okay, where could this possibly go? What are the possible outcomes? Like I went to a, a great punk concert, but I had to take the SkyTrain down to Maine and Hastings. And that SkyTrain was packed because we were traveling during rush hour to get down there. And it was just like, I was a tuning fork the entire time down there. And what I actually had to do was tap into my own sense of peace because I was feeling such an active energy from the group of police like the collective group of people in that tight space and everybody just felt busy everybody felt pressured everybody felt like they were just trying to survive if that's if, if that makes any sense and so it, it actually almost felt like a bit of a threat to me on the inside and so i had to use some kind of tools to to mitigate my reaction to it because it was such a such a strong feeling so if those situations are one-on-one, -on -one, like, you know, you go to a social gathering or a Christmas party, as it were, just because we're coming through the holidays, it's like, I tend to just kind of find my one person that feels peaceful to me. Externally, they have a sense of peacefulness that I can sort of vibe with. And then that's where a conversation for me starts. And that's how I help break myself into the social group. Because I just find that one person that's putting off a good vibe versus sort of that fake veneer vibe. Um, do I wish I had greater tools or a greater and, and, and working with youth, it's easier because they're less, um, they're easier to access, um, than adults are at this stage in their lives generally, except for the really hard kids. But I, I feel like I have a greater access point with the youth than I do the, the adults. And so I just try and find that kind of the, the most extrinsically peaceful person that I vibe with, like I can actually feel it on them just kind of start if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sean. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that, uh, and to play off what Steve is saying, and, and I understand completely where he's at, because we just came out of freaking Kyoto, where there's a boatload of people trying to get on subways and all of that good stuff. And, you know, everyone's crammed up all up in everyone's grill. And if someone's given off a weird vibe, well, guess what? You're trapped next to the weird vibe guy. Just as Steve said, you know, the sky train. Well, this it's like the sky train on uh, the sky train on steroids uh, in Kyoto in parts. So, <clears throat> to teach peace or to feel peace, you've got to understand how to teach danger or feel danger. And so, there's a lot of people out there that think they're dangerous, and they give off a not peaceful vibe. 
when they're the furthest thing from dangerous and it's all a facade. Do I need to say that sentence again? Cause it's so freaking impactful. So, um, you know, some people ask me, um, you know, when you're in these moments, do you ever get like concerned or do you ever get worried? Do you ever get scared? Do you feel fear? And, uh, my response is not really. I'm probably the most dangerous guy on that train. Cause that's how I think. Cause I'm comfortable in my own skin because I know what's up because I'm trained, <laughs> trained on a train. And so, um, I don't have to worry about what happens in front of me. Cause I feel like I've got it under control. I don't have to worry about the near future cause I'll freaking create it. And so the feeling of being unsafe to me is uncommon or is, is rare or is unusual. Cause I feel I'm, like I said, I might be the most competent person on the train in that train car at that time. So who, who, who's going to do what, pull out a sword and start swinging it? Well, okay, no big deal. I've faced that. What are they going to pull out nunchakas or shuriken or guns or pull out a cat and start swinging a dead cat? No big deal. Not too concerned about any of that. And so what would it be that would concern me? Things that are, you know, crazy sort of comic book nonsense that I'd probably blink and think, well, I guess I'm going to have to deal with this. So I'm not scared of these kind of things, heights for sure, but no one's, no one's throwing heights at me. No one's attacking me with heights. So on that train that's jam packed, it's a non-factor. So, um, how do I display peace or teach peace in that moment? I just lean against a subway train wall and not smile or smirk, but I just chillax and Zen out. And being the only white person on that train, perhaps, in, in that moment in Kyoto, which happened s several times, um, just my wife and I, or just me, even though the eyeballs aren't di directly on you, the peripheral eyeballs are on you because you're a curiosity, because you're a um, you're a unique individual on that train. In Japan, it's extremely respectful. And no one's going to hard eyeball you, but you're being watched, you're being observed, you're being uh, classified as to whether you're calm or not, whether you're Zen or not, whether you're peaceful or not, whether you're angry or not, whether you're going to start, you know, being a jerk or not. You're now the, the specimen on the train and you're not just purporting yourself, you're not just representing yourself, but you're actually representing other tourists. You're representing other Caucasians. You're representing other North Americans. You're representing more than just yourself in that moment, for sure. And if you don't understand that, you just haven't traveled enough. And to say that um, you've got to represent yourself for all of North America, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, do it right. And if you're doing travel right, and if you're doing yourself right, and if you're confident in the right way, then you should be pretty chill. You should be, you should be pretty cool to be around. You should be exuding peace. You should be teaching peace in the moment. You should look the part. You should feel the part. And if you feel the part, then you're emanating off the part. Other people are now feeling your peace. So... You've got to internally understand that there's nothing to be scared of. And if you are, then you've got to address those things so that you're confident in these moments so that you can exude the confidence. You can exude the peace, the exude the chill of the moment so that others can pick up what you're putting down. I don't have to walk onto a really, really, really busy subway train in Kyoto and start briefing the car on how peaceful I am. I've just got to walk in, lean against something, look around me, maybe even nod at someone, and then just chillax and be peaceful. I like that. I, I would love to see the train car that you walk into. And, All right, everybody, listen up. I am the most peaceful person here. <laughs> that just immediately is going to set it off. Um, it's interesting you bring this up. My, my brother spent a number of years in Korea. And he used to tell me all the time about how people would come up and get pictures with him 
and he had no idea why for the first little bit. It wasn't until he realized that, well, he's six foot eight, right? He's not a small guy walking around in South Korea. He was an anomaly, right? People were curious at the fact that someone could grow that tall and they wanted pictures with the, you know, and look at the giant, right? I'm, I want a picture of the giant. And to, uh, to your point, Sean, if he had been uh, not at peace in the, those moments, not had, had not made peace with himself in those moments, he could have been a jerk about it. I mean, like, no, I'm not getting a picture with you. No, get away from like, and you could, it would create an animosity there that isn't necessary, but to be able to dial into that moment, find that right vibe and yeah, absolutely. And take pictures and, you know, shoot off little hand signs and do all kinds of cool stuff to engage the people around you that if there was any sort of trepidation or if, any, or if there wasn't a peaceful vibe there, you can actually lower the uh, <laughs> the nervous system of those around you just by being that much more peaceful. I think that's a great point. Steve, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I want to return to this idea that, that, that both of you are, are putting out there. And there's a quote I, I heard very early in my career that that honestly has stuck with me and it's one of the ways I try to conduct myself in life. And, and it was teaching every moment. And if you have to use words, right. And for me, that quote has always resonated and especially in, in parenting, right? Like the, the topic of teaching peace is when you think about raising your littles, it's like they're watching constantly. Like Sean was being observed on the, on the bullet train in Kyoto, if it was a bullet train, um, our littles are watching us constantly. And how I react to things or how my wife reacts to things um, in front of our kids seems mission critical to me. And coming back to this point of like active versus passive teaching in, in relation to peace, I think that they're, they have to go hand in hand because peacefulness is very much a feeling that is tangible. Like to me, it, it's like if I see Sean leaning up against the pole on that train and I make eye contact with Sean which I try to do. I try to make eye contact with the world around me because I believe that eye contact and our facial expressions and our body language is, is a tremendous ability. We have a tremendous ability to display our intention through those things. And, you know, I, on the collective, we've used the word nuance quite a bit. And I believe that that peace and how we extrinsically display it is very much a nuance thing. Like man to man, just to bring, I'm not trying to be gender specific, but like if Sean and I are on that train together and I make eye contact with him and I stand square to him, if I square my body to him and my face shows him a, a peaceful smile or a friendly nod, then I know I don't have anything to worry about between he and I, because we've had just the simple peaceful interaction. And so when, when I teach my son that, because when you're 12 years old and my guy's a little dude, like he's not a big 12 year old. And he was at a football uh, camp on Saturday with the, some humongous kids like these kids are six one six two they're big they've had a big growth spurt and he's in the mix there and he's dicing with them and i said don't you ever shy away from anybody you stand square and you face a man heart to heart chest to chest and you look him in the eye and i don't care if you have to look straight up you look him in the eye and you smile and you you let him know that you're a friendly person and that you're worth talking to and i think when you can do or display passive peaceful traits like that it it automatically opens you up to a world that has a lot to offer you. I think when you see in particular youth, they have this guard up and it's such a, it's such a bravado. It's such a facade that it closes doors to them left, right, and center. And how can they feel anything other than left out in the cold? But the problem is, is they don't realize they're doing it to themselves because there's this sense of ego or this sense of like, I must protect myself at all costs. Well, that's a huge demonstration, huge demonstration that they haven't been taught how to be peaceful through effective role modeling. And so that quote, just, I want to come back to that quote for a sec of teaching every moment. And if you have to use words for all of our listeners, just think about that for a second and think about like how your interactions on the daily can be a very passive way of actively teaching somebody how to square up with the world, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, you got any thoughts on that? I do. I'm going to tie a few things together that Steve said there just through coincidence, just to make a point. And uh, I do like uh, this idea of teach, teach uh, before speaking. And then if you have to speak, then okay, continue teaching with your speaking. And so I've never quite heard that quote before. I'm curious as to was that just a, a, 
a guy that you know from back in the day that passed that along to you or do they have uh, are they any fame i believe it was i, I want to say it was parker palmer who's an educational writer who i encountered very encountered very early in my career hmm, okay I, I like it so um i'm with what Steve just said there, I started chaining things together and it snapped in a visual in my head uh, only because he said the bullet train. So most of our travels were on buses, um, surface level um, trains or subways. And so we were only on a bullet train once, the Shinkansen. And so it, it, it's freaking fast, man. It's It's impressive. We've been on several other bullet trains around the world, but this one is like, it's the classic example of what a bullet train should be. It's so squared away. It's perfectly on time. You get on and uh, and it's an upscale uh, situation. Up until this point that we got on that bullet train, we've been kind of like in the bargain basement sort of travels. But the moment that we got on the bullet train, it was everyone's in suit and ties. It's all Hugo Boss and it's all, you know, uh, Rolex watches and it's, it's it's fancy boy in there the staff that work on the bullet train when the when the doors open up for them to walk into the cabin they'll bow before they enter in and then the doors close they walk down and they'll give everyone the nod they're very mm, accommodating and uh, almost uh, subordinating themselves as they walk down the aisle as staff and when they get to the other end of the train car uh, they'll turn and face that cabin, and then they'll bow as the doors open, and they'll back out facing as they're bowing, and then the doors close, they'll do a 180, and then they'll walk into the next cabin. So they're bowing in, and they're bowing out, and they're being very uh, respectful, almost uh, uh, deprecating in a way. So that's the staff. So the staff set the vibe, and the vibe in train is very respectful, very professional, very squared away. So Doreen and I got on this bullet train uh, as we're going from uh, the Nakasendo Trail down to Kyoto. And uh, as we got on our seats, it was three seats next to each other, uh, and we had our big bags. I threw my big bag up on uh, the uh, uh, luggage rack above us, and uh, all the luggage down the way was all polished chrome suitcases and and very business class sort of uh, stuff meanwhile i've got my green bag that i've dragged halfway around the world for you know however many years it's all beat up and looking pretty scuffy uh so right away i look a bit like uh you know i i probably don't belong there i look like a australian backpacker a tourist for sure and, and my wife's got a suitcase so i've got to like slide that into where we're gonna sit in front of her seat and as, as I'm throwing my, my stuff up, I'm eyeballing the guy. Remember, I said it's three seats. I'm eyeballing the guy who's got the aisle seat. He's like 25, 26 years old. He's got the latest, greatest, fashionable haircut. He's got the very expensive suit. I noticed the expensive watch. He's got his laptop out. He's doing the uh, Excel spreadsheet all day long kind of thing. He's, he's feeling important. He's looking important. He's exuding confidence and so um he knows what's going on he knows that we're going to go sit in in that seat but he ain't freaking moving he's all sprawled out now he's making a point that he's so powerful he owns this entire aisle he ain't moving at all so he glances up at me once gives me that disdainful look that sort of like gaijin look and then he gets right back to it as if we don't exist i'm like what First time I bumped into this in our time in Japan. So I say to him, excuse me. And he looks up and he looks down. It freaking ignores me. I'm like, okay. So we're not going to get to speak. We're not going to do any language. I already picked up his vibe. And so now what am I going to do? So I take Doreen's luggage and I try to squeeze it past him. But the wheel of the luggage, one wheel lands on this highly polished, probably crocodile shoe. Man, he moves his foot fast once the weight of that luggage lands on his foot. And he looks up at me with, like, almost aggression. And then he eyeballs the hat. But more importantly, he eyeballs the look in my eyes. When he went aggressive, I was like, oh. 
and I matched his energy. And that was the first time that he realized that he'd played this thing wrong. And so I slid in after Dreen slid in. I sit down. I don't look at this kid the entire ride. I just pull up my phone, go to Instagram, and I'm on top of social media. Do you know what he's doing? He's pretending to be on his Excel spreadsheet, but he's peripherally eyeballing everything I do on my phone. And I let him because I'm letting him clue into what he's just uh, dealing with now. Who's the dude sitting next to him? And I ain't a chump. I ain't a big deal, but I ain't a nobody. And by nobody, I mean, like, I'm not just some bumbling fool who fell off the back of the turnip truck that likes being disdainfully looked at. So now here's an opportunity for him to learn in the moment. So I let him kind of sizzle next to me. Finally, he falls asleep. Now he's, all, now he's almost got his head on my shoulder. Like, he's, he's mid-20s. He's, to me, he's a kid. And so I almost let him sleep on my shoulder. When he wakes up, he's a bit discombobulated because it's time to get off the train. And, and as I go to make my first move, what does he do? Makes a grand sweeping effort to move out of the way, to be conciliatory, to be not respectful, but to be um, cooperative in the moment. Now he can't get out of the way fast enough. He can't get out of the way getting out of the way enough. And so he makes a grand effort to demonstrate that, not that he's changed his ways, but now it's a new program. And as I'm standing up, now he's nodding and looking me in the eye briefly, not too long, just briefly enough to just give me a nod. Now we're good. We never exchanged a word during that entire time. It was all based on what his vibe was. And then I adjusted my vibe to adjust his vibe so that we could get along in the moment. And so the, that was an opportunity for him to learn that just because he's in his mid-20s and owns an expensive suit doesn't mean anything to some people around him. Certainly didn't mean anything to me. And so a um, bit of a lesson for that kid in what his idea of he was going to impose his idea of the peacefulness of the moment versus what my idea of, man, I just want to get along. I just, I just want to, I just want to sit down and get to Kyoto. And if we can talk, that'd be cool. If we can smile that that'd be cool as well. But I'm sitting in the seat, bro. So try to get along. The peacefulness of the moment doesn't mean that it's um, Christmas carols in the background where everything feels like super vibe. Peacefulness sometimes can just be as simple as I, I'm not going to throw you off the train. You get to stay on the train today. And so peacefulness doesn't mean that it's all angelic cherubs singing in the background. It could just be as simple as let's agree not to choke each other out right now. Let's, let's agree to just take a deep breath and coexist without any violence. That in a form is peace. And whether it's being taught in the moment, demonstrated in the moment, whether it's passively vibed off in the moment is kind of unimportant. The fact remains that peace isn't sometimes the Harlequin romance Christmas card that everyone considers peace as. Peace can be just a half inch of peace versus the full one mile of peace. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, there's a, there's, I think there's a big difference between a lack of violence and actual peace. <laughs> like there, there's a, there's a line there and it can be a thin line between a lack of violence and peace. But I think it comes down to both parties understanding that there is going to be peace because if one side of that, if that guy had remained disdainful throughout that entire, uh, engagement, even afterwards and continued that, uh, that level of just general animosity, that would not have been a peaceful engagement, but because there was an understanding at the end that became a peaceful engagement at the end, if that makes sense as well. And <clears throat> I think what this comes to is a difference between confidence versus ego. And I think when we're talking about teaching peace, when we're talking about, um, you know, passing on the knowledge of, you know, your own personal peace, being at peace with oneself, 
you have to be able to step out of the ego shell of it. And I think a lot of our kids, especially uh, within schools and within um, instructional institutions, all they see is the ego portion of it, that ego veneer of, I'm going to stand up in front, I'm the important one here, listen to what I say, da, 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 versus the quiet confidence of someone who knows where they're supposed to be, if that makes sense. Steve, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I strongly agree. Um, I, I really struggle with ego. And and similarly, perhaps to Sean, I had a much more overt experience with a colleague um, recently who uh, I just don't dig the, the dude's jam. He's just not, he and I are not aligned in how we work with kids. We're not aligned in how we how we think about the education system and our, and our role within it. And this guy and I have had some negative interactions, um, only negative because I have been confident enough within my own self to tell him what is not working for me and thereby what is not working for my students that he and I share. Um, because he interacts with my kids, uh, because we're in a high school system, the kids rotate through different people. And so he interacts with some of my students in ways that I just don't agree with and appreciate, but I'm confident enough to tell him that because I believe that it's detrimental to the students. And my job is to ensure the kids are getting the very best of us so that they can develop into the, what the collective would love to see walk amongst us. And it was really interesting because this person engaged with me in a conversa <coughs> conversation at my door. And he said to me, he said, uh, hey, I, I think that uh, you and I should, should hang out together. And I looked at him square in the eyes and I said, nope, I don't need that. And it's like he didn't know, it's like he didn't even understand what I was saying to him. And he goes, wow, I see, you know, I think if we hang out, we might get to know each other a little bit better. And, and, you know, and he started giving me like finger guns, like actually. And I was just like, you know what, dude, I was like, I'm good. I was like, you do you over there. I'll be doing me over here. And, and let's just keep the heart of the matter at the center of that. And that's kids. You do your very best for kids that you think you're doing. And I'm, I know I'm going to be doing the best for kids in the way that I work with them, but I said, I have enough friends. I don't need, I don't need you to be in my wheelhouse. And the fact that he couldn't, he couldn't leave it alone. Like he just couldn't, he, cause he, what he was, was he was driven by his ego. Everybody must like him. Everybody must be sort of under his umbrella. He must be the center of attention in terms of how he does and executes on his work. And that's just, that's just never going to be me. I'm, I, I just can't be around that. I find it self-destructive for myself and destructive to the to people around him. Um, and so I was coming from a place of confidence because I know what I bring to the table, but his ego wouldn't even allow him to hear the words. And so I actually ended up saying, I was like, you can, you can walk away now because this interaction is not going to go any other direction than the way it's going. And outwardly, I wish somebody like another colleague or a peer had been hearing this interaction just to make sure I could check myself and make sure like, Hey, was I, was I totally offside in that? Or was I on, on the right track? But unfortunately that, that opportunity wasn't there. And so I reflected on it quite a bit and, and I feel like confidence is a must and ego is, must be killed at, at, at every opportunity we have to, to kill it because it, what it does is it becomes the barrier to actual learning. It becomes the barrier to actual peace because it's not for you. Ego becomes about and for someone else is what how I've always viewed it. And how can you be peaceful inside if you're always worried about what other folks are thinking? That is a great point. Sean, you got any thoughts on it? Yeah, I think you got to think about peace and you got to demonstrate peace and got to try and be peaceful and try not to hang out with people who are jerks. You know, that's a pretty simple recipe, but it's it's a really elusive, um, simple math problem. To write it down on paper, it it all makes sense, but the to to actively pursue it, it, it's like a lifelong journey that has a lot of nuance. And sometimes I've done it wrong. Sometimes I think we all do it wrong. And so um, the active pursuit of better understanding how to peacefully move through the world is, is perhaps more difficult for a high school teacher than a tier one operator. I don't know. I think it might be, but maybe it isn't. Maybe your hallways are freaking carnage on the regular, you know? So maybe, maybe it's harder for you than it is for me. I'm throwing that out there to start creating the contextualized process within Steve, within anyone who's listening right now to think, 
Oh yeah, I am a high school teacher. Oh yeah, he was a tier one operator. Oh yeah, I wonder who had it harder. It doesn't actually matter. I'm just throwing that out there to get the ball rolling. It doesn't matter because I'm sure everyone has faced enough challenges in their life that they've botched it. They've botched peace. I know I have. I'm going to guess that Steve has. I'm going to guess that Chance has. So it's what you do when you botch it and whether you learn from botching it. And that takes reflection. And so as Steve was telling his story, what I was thinking is that dude who walked up on Steve just hasn't sat down and thought about all the times he's blown it. Like, I'm sure that it probably isn't his first conversation trying to like square it up with someone about how awesome it is that they're going to be new friends and teach each other karate in the garage over the afternoon. That just ain't the way life works, man. Life does not work like that. You can't roll up like it's a Hollywood movie and start holding hands within minutes and now you're besties. Life don't work like that. And so if you're out there trying to make a conciliatory effort or you're trying to move closer to the center point of a peaceful relationship with someone, it should take time. It should take small efforts. It should take more time thinking about how to do it right rather than less time thinking about it and more time trying to make it right. You got to think before you try in this instance. But the action has to occur, of course. You can't plan all the plans and not do anything about it. But in this case, spend more time planning or thinking before you take that first step towards a Steve or to me or to Chance or to your neighbor to start talking about, remember that time I really screwed things up? We should probably talk about that. And so creating a, a, a new safe environment, a new safe relationship, if it's, a, if it's a being blown once and you're trying to create a new version of a relationship, it, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be bam, 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 back-to-back -back efforts without a pause two, three, a tactical pause to consider, man, I got to... I blew it again. That's the 37th time I botched this. I've got to do it right on the 38th. That's the, the time that you should be taking a moment to think about how to build a better relationship. And so peace is, is not, again, this idyllic hallmark card moment that goes from zero to 100 miles an hour in a split second. You kind of got to ease your way into creating a peaceful environment. I do believe. 100%. Can I jump in there, fellas? Give her. Yeah, because I, I really, really like that. And and one of the things I chatted with Chance in the green room before we started was as I was driving around this morning, running a couple errands, um, my heart really went to the cost of peace, right? Like peace does come at a cost. And I find what, like what Sean just said is super, super valuable and important because like I'm a big believer in grace. I'm not a religious man by any means, but I believe that to have grace, to give somebody another opportunity, to give somebody another chance, there has to be a vulnerable moment that exists between those two people. Like if homeboy at work had just come up to me and said exactly what Sean said, hey, I haven't been really happy with our interactions. I'd love if we had the opportunity to talk about that. Like he, that's demonstrating enough vulnerability towards me that I feel that deserves a level of grace. Like at least this deserves a conversation to see if there's a talking point that we can mutually agree upon. And that would come at a cost to me because I would have to open my heart up and open my mind up enough to a fellow I don't care for to, to, to be willing to offer him that opportunity so that there is a cost that comes with that. But I think that cost is so worth paying if it gives the opportunity for growth and for mentorship or for resolution or use whatever word we'd like to use but it can't exist unless there is that moment where one of the two is is willing to be vulnerable enough to say hey like i did blow it i mean the amount of times i've said i've blown it to friends or to colleagues or to students a teacher said this to me many years ago in my first career i uh he overheard me say sorry to a kid and he goes he took he actually took me aside and he goes don't ever be sorry when you're working with kids and i was like what does that mean and he goes, don't ever admit you're wrong to kids or else they'll eat you alive. I couldn't disagree with that any anymore because by admitting that I've made a mistake or by opening a door to say, hey, kid, oh, you know what? I blew it. 
I am demonstrating to that kid that it's okay to take a chance. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to try something and blow it because that's what we do every single day. You find me one person who hasn't blown it a thousand times in their pursuit of excellence or career or athletic success or inner peace or whatever it is. You find me that person who hasn't blown it. I'll find you a liar. They're not ready to sit with the fact that they've blown it. And that's, if you can sit with that moment and have grace for yourself and then grace for others, man, how can you not experience peace? And that's something as simple as a handshake, right? Like I teach kids how to shake hands. Like you'd be amazed how many grade 11, grade 12 boys, girls, critters of any kind, I don't care what they can't, they do not know how to shake a shake a hand anymore. And to me, that's an incredibly peaceful gesture. If you, if you, if you roll up to somebody and you extend a hand, you're physically saying to that person that I'm ready to have an interaction with you. I'm willing to have an interaction with you. I'm squaring my heart. I'm squaring my body. I'm extending a peaceful gesture. Like that can be as simple as it needs to be like a Merry Christmas and a handshake to a fellow who's not great at, at verbalizing his feelings that can mean the world, but it's amazing how our youth today really don't have the ability to have a nice, kind, respectful handshake. So we actually take the time to teach that, or I take the time to teach that in my classes, because I think it opens doors to, to exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, totally agree. The, uh, the concept of grace is fantastic. And I think the, uh, the, the handshake brings up a kind of a funny story from back in the day, but I'm not going to get into it. But the, um, <clears throat> the, the concept of being able to exude a peaceful moment with a handshake is critical when you see friends come together especially men or people from the military my uh, our background here is that it's usually an extended thing too it's not just like you walk up to each other oh hello handshake good day right it's hey and like the hand is out and it's a good long two three seconds before they come together and there's this uh uh conjunction of two peaceful people having that moment. And I think it's a, it's a fantastic point to bring up. Um, I do have a couple comments here. Sean, do you got any thoughts on this before I jump in? No. Okay. Uh, a couple comments just to hit on this. Uh, Pugs go moose says, Hey, Mr. Wilson, seeing you were going live and had to hop on, check it out. Keep it up hundred percent. John Minari's here. Uh, Minari's here. Good morning team collective. And, uh, he says preaching right now, Mr. Wilson, I've been through this all. And he carries on with this comment. I want to get your guys thoughts on this. He says, I don't feel as if I have an ego, nor a lack of, nor a lot of confidence, but I do care for my reputation to be held at a certain point. I don't want people to look at me funny or weird because I acted out in a certain way. And I think this goes to what we're kind of talking about right now. So Steve, I'm going to pass the mic off to you here, but any thoughts on that comment? Yeah, I think that I'm really curious who this is now, by the way. Um, but I think that when you are concerned about perception, um, perception can be an interesting one because perception is how you internalize what it is that you've just done. And I think that if you come at things with looking through a lens of I'm doing my best, like look, look at the tagline on our, on our screen right now, every moment, do your best every day if we're if we're behaving and conducting ourselves in that way on the daily then there's an incredible amount of peace that we sit with or can sit with if we truly believe that so pugs go moo i mean your reputation is only as strong as you believe it is based on your actions and whatever anybody else thinks about that in the moment you don't essentially you don't have any control over it either so internalizing your actions, knowing you're doing them for the right reason, let the world perceive it how they want to, because you know, you were acting with, with true intention. You were doing it for your right reasons and not everybody is going to vibe with that. And that's entirely okay. Because what will happen is as you age and as you grow into this world, you'll find your tribe, you'll have your people around you that feed you in a way that fills your bucket as opposed to taking it away. Does it hurt when somebody says something hurtful? Absolutely. Does it hurt even worse when it's a rando who's sending you messages and via snap or an Instagram DM or something who's got nothing positive to say? I find those moments easier to handle personally because they don't matter to me. 
because I know what I was doing with the, with the intention of my words and my actions. And I can live with that for sure. Absolutely. Sean, you got any thoughts on this one? I do. So, um, pugs, I'll, I'll break it down pretty quickly. You don't feel as if you have an ego, you do. And it's evident that you've got one based on what you just wrote. And I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, nor a lot of confidence. Well, confidence is based on what you've done in life. And if you've done some rad things and you probably got some confidence, and if you haven't done much at all, you probably don't have much confidence. So if you're seeking more confidence, then start doing rad things. Uh, but I do care about my reputation. Well, your reputation is based on what you've done in the past and what you're currently doing right now. In fact, your reputation is being built this very second by being involved in the collective podcast. You're building a reputation right now. Uh, then the very next question that you ask will build your reputation. The question that you've got written down here right now is building your reputation. As I look at your question, it shows to me someone who's curious, who's exploring, who is in the game of asking questions and looking for feedback. You're engaged in life. So your reputation with me is already a pretty positive thing. And so it might not be positive tomorrow if you screw things up and you ask dumb questions. And they always say, no question is a dumb question. Believe me, there's dumb questions. But the fact that you're asking questions is an indication that to me that you're in the game. So your reputation is starting to precede you. If you show up here tomorrow and I see you listed as a viewer, but you haven't asked a question yet, your reputation has already preceded you based on this question that you asked just now. And so that is reputation. Reputation isn't just what gets done in the moment by your name. It's what precedes you. So if I'm going somewhere tomorrow and that tomorrow knows that I'm going there tomorrow, well, my name has already preceded me. They are already thinking a certain way. They're already doing certain things prior to me getting there because my reputation gets certain things done before I show up physically. And so there's a difference between ego and reputation. Your ego is sort of a construct, but your reputation is action-based past. So if you've done a lot in your life, your reputation can get a lot done in the present and the future. That's not your ego. Your ego doesn't do anything other than sometimes spoil the party if you've got too much of it. You need the right amount of ego for you to drive your life, to do good things, to build up a body of work, to create a reputation of being a rad dude so that many years later, or rad girl, so that many years later, you can... Before you step into a room, maybe Steve's room, his classroom, before he opens that door, his reputation has preceded him. And he's getting things done as that door opens. And all eyes lock on him and think, oh, good. It's our favorite teacher. This is going to be a good class. This is going to be a good day. I'm going to learn things. I'm going to be better for it. Before a single word is spoken. So Steve can have a peaceful classroom being taught well, simply based on his reputation doing the work before he does any work. But all the work was done in the past. So as he slides up to the podium at the front of the classroom, even though he's not said a word, his actions are based on millions of words over the decades before that moment. And so... Your ego is an entirely different thing than your confidence or your reputation. Now, if, if you think that people are looking at you funny or weird, or if you don't want people to look at you funny or weird, chances are you are not ready or not considering a growth mindset enough. If, if you're constraining or constricting your actions so that you are... I'll call it walking a safe trajectory that uh, doesn't allow anyone to look at you a little weird or a little funny. Now you're playing a safe game. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're just playing a safe game. The safe game doesn't allow you to grow as fast. 
if you expand your safe game a little bit so that you're ex exploring yourself so that you're exposing yourself so that you're living a more complete life in the moment if you can just expand your trajectory a little bit you'll find that you'll move down the path of life a whole lot more capable and confident sooner rather than later and by facing more by doing more by not being overly concerned with people looking at you funny or weird you're going to you're going to do more things and that more things gives you more confidence and that confidence then builds into a reputation and now we're back to that point where you're getting things done before you open that classroom door and so just a few things that i'm picking up in that uh, paragraph that we could probably spend most of the podcast talking about. Yeah, we probably could. I think on top of that is that just as a addition to what you're saying, Sean, is the fact that as the confidence grows, I think your peace increases as well. Because as you become more confident in what you're doing, you spend less time thinking about there's less turmoil, which gives you a sense of peace. And it, 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 at, be, at first, it's a small veneer right that, that confidence assists in finding peace and then once you can tap into that peace and start learning about it as he's doing right now by asking questions and developing himself that starts to build into an a larger scale full body piece if you want to put it that way steve you got any additional thoughts on this yeah i do i just um i want to just if it's okay i just want to read something that i've i haven't launched to the kids yet but is is my new year's um kind of opening and it goes like this. I'm not intimidating. You're intimidated. There's a difference. I'm not mean nor aggressive. I'm honest and assertive, and that makes you uncomfortable. And it's not me that makes you uncomfortable. My presence challenges your comfort, and I will not be less for you to feel better about yourself. And I think that to me, that's like a really poignant thing to understand about ourselves is that shrinking so that others don't feel uncomfortable is not useful to the world. Us being the very best version of ourselves, whether it's by reputation, by whether it's developing confidence, us becoming optimal versions of, of, of who we would like to see ourselves become, it, yes, is it challenging? Does it, does it freak other people out? It can, but we should never shrink so that others feel uncomfortable because we're robbing their opportunity to grow themselves that really feels like that's my life's work is to have people understand that being the best version of you is actually the best service you can give to this thing we call the world and i really i think i i'm not sure how to word this and i'm gonna i'm gonna trip over it because it's just hit my hit my brain but like remember that reputation is not judgment reputation is exactly what sean described it's it's all of it's the collection of things that have made you who you are that people are maybe not drawn to initially but it's because they haven't done the work right there beside you yet but they know it's coming you know those are very kind words that sean said that uh, about you know perhaps how i've conducted myself and how i try to conduct myself when kids see me walk into a room they know they're safe they know that room is there for them and i'm in service of them but we're going to do it together there's there's no you can't shirk the work there's no easy way around it the work is the work and that's what we're going to do but i think that people nowadays are so quick to judge as opposed to understand a reputation like they it, it's much much easier to be hurtful and judgmental than it is to actually internalize somebody's reputation and feel their confidence and recognize the work that's been done because it can potentially make us feel less about ourselves like if sean walks into a room as a tier one operator people are automatically going to be drawn to it like crazy or they're going to be, and this is just my belief, they're either going to be drawn to it like crazy or they're going to be turned off of it because it's so profound they can't understand what it is, so thereby they must judge it. And I really want people to be aware that if they just can sit with themselves and be peaceful enough internally to experience somebody, <coughs> pardon me, they will have such a golden opportunity to try somebody on that can add so much value to their, to their lives so much value to their growth. You know, the young fellow on the train who's all fancy dancy and he's sitting there with his fancy value-based system of living in his suit with his watch and his fancy crocodile shoes. He had an experience 
that if he had opened himself up just a little bit more, man, could he have had a great sit down with somebody who has such incredibly unique life experience that probably would have been shared because Sean seems to be giving of himself in service of others. And that to me is like, what a wasted opportunity for that individual, even though it was peaceful. Could he have had such a, 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 a more enriching experience in that, in that train ride? And that's where it's like, let's recognize reputation, but keep judgment <coughs> off the table. But let's make sure we're not shrinking ourselves so that others feel comfortable. <coughs> yeah, I think that's a great point. Sean, you got any additional thoughts on that? No, Steve pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, the fact uh, remains that if you want to change the world, if you want to create more peace, if you want to make the world a better place, you got to be you. And you got to be confident with who you are, but not so egotistical that you're not drinking your own Kool-Aid and allow your reputation, as Steve said, to kind of let things happen. And that guy did miss an opportunity on the train, as did I. A two-way highway communication where we could have both learned something during that trip. And I would have done it easily, happily, casually. And it doesn't matter what that kid was into, go-karts or martial arts or flying kites. I've done all of them. Whatever it is that that kid has in his life, chances are I probably know something about it because I was three times his age. And so, not quite, but almost. And so um, you can always find commonality. You can always break down barriers, but it has to be a team effort. I, on, on, on peace, while you're trying to teach it, there's a certain line in the sand where pff, I'm done because I feel like no one's participating in the moment and I just can't be a beacon of peace emanating it on the regular because it's draining if, if it's a one-man show. And so you get on a train and if everyone's like super angry, I mean, every single person is super angry. It's not my job to turn the entire train around because A, that train ride ain't long enough and B, I might not have the energy to turn everyone around. And so sometimes you've kind of got to shrug your shoulders, pick your battles and reserve your energy for the times where you can move the needle. Like that young buck, if everyone on the train was all peaceified and it was just him that was the outlier and I felt like I had the energy and the inclination and the reason to turn him around, then maybe I would have. But I just wasn't into it in the moment. And I think that's another aspect that we could have talked about or that we should have talked about is that, you know, there's a time and place to go in peace mode. There's a time and place to teach peace. There's a, and it's not all the time. It's not constant send because that's annoying to some people as well. So I guess pick your peace battles and know that you can't always be Mr. Peace, Mrs. Peace, constantly spreading the peace love because some people are going to get irritated by your timing, your sensitivity to the moment. I think everyone can use some extra peace in their life, but not on a constant send basis. You just got to have some sensitivity to when when to drop the line of uh, we're going to we're going to get our peace mode on now. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to use that as a new line. Pick your peace. What kind of piece are you picking right now, right? Uh, but I think that you bring up a very good point, and I, I will get some final thoughts right after this here. But the, um, the the concept of being able to find your piece in the moment, right? If you walk into that train and everyone's jacked up and everyone's super angry and scowling all over the place, you're absolutely right. It's not your job to to fix that. But then there is a point where you walk into that train and go, okay, I'm going to find my piece. And you find your corner, you find your chair, whatever, and you just, cool. We're going to let them do them, but I'm not going to let them affect me. And I think that's an, an incredibly important part of this in that I think our piece is super important. And yes, we can exude it and we can teach others how to be peaceful and we can do all these things but we still need to maintain it in ourselves. We can't give up too much of it. And as you said yesterday, Sean, we were talking about, um, you said there are people that are out there that are really good at peace. They spent their entire lives studying how to be at peace. And absolutely, those people could probably walk onto a train of people that were jacked up and calm the room down a degree or two, or 
maybe elevate it and they can maintain their own peace. But I think it's important that we really hammer on the point that <laughs> your internal peace is up to you, no one else. And that we have to focus on that before we start looking to spread it to other people. Got to be at peace yourself before you can start teaching others. So let's uh, finish up with some final thoughts. Anything at all that we uh, still got brewing in the back of our head, Steve? Yeah, I just, um, I mean, peace is never like, like real peace. Um, and that is a kind of a judgment or value-based statement, but like, it's not going to come via an Instagram post. Like, you know, in particular around the holidays, there's, I've seen my feed and my stories are just full of like these inspirational, peaceful based quotes. And when I see them, some of the people I see posting them, my heart just goes to like, I sure hope they believe that. Like, I sure hope they're living into or leaning into what it is they're posting because it's super easy to um, repost something onto your story or to, or, or to make a social media post, but that's not where the work lives. The work lives in, in, in the actual internal feelings of peace that, that, that you can have if you practice them. So like having a mindful practice, having, um, I mean, I'm not a breathwork guy, but have I messed with enough breathwork to understand that it actually absolutely plays a role in helping me mitigate my physical reactions and my physical peace in moments where I'm on the train? Absolutely. Like I have tools in my toolkit that allow me to have the peace that I, that I know that I need in my life. And just for our listeners out there and whoever you are, wherever you are, actually practice living into peace, lean into a mindful practice, lean into some breath work, lean into some journaling, because I think what will happen is when you can get the stuff in here and in here outward, it helps, uh, it helps create a calm in your body that allows you to, to, to then focus on a sense of peace. Absolutely. Sean, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to use a quote that I've said one gajillion times over the last two plus decades, and it's this, train in peace as you would for war. And so I know that's a tough one to drop right at the back end of the podcast, because again, that would be a redonkulous long uh, conversation, but train in peace as you would for war. If you, if you want to be peaceful in your life, you've got to face some adversity. If you want to be peaceful in your life, you've got to get more resilient. If you want to be peaceful in your life, you've got to have faced enough hardship that you understand what peace feels like. Peace is not something that you're just born with and float through the world with like unicorns and rainbows peace. If you've faced enough difficulty, now you have some contextuality against what feels better, hardship or peacefulness war or peace war within yourself versus peace within yourself you've got to like pursue life at a velocity that you learn lessons from life one of the lessons that you should learn is train in peace as you would for war for pugs goo moo or the the young individual who came on with that great question that doesn't mean that he's got to throw on his combat jacket and go out and do an obstacle course right now in his backyard. What it does mean, he or she, what it does mean is they now have to face some additional adversity in their life, in their classroom, on the way to school, on the train, in their hobbies, in their house. They've got to pursue a bit more so they, they understand how easier life can get do hard things so that the other things start feeling easier and easier month by month until at some point you've done enough that you're comfortable sitting within yourself and just chillaxing and enjoying the peaceful state that you've created not that the world hands you because the hand the hand that the world is going to give you is full of chaos and not peace it's for you to do the work to create a peaceful environment within yourself and around you if you're truly going to pursue peace. Yeah, that is a great point. I think um, <clears throat> in North America, we're really, I guess, limited in our, we can be limited in our interactions with violence or struggle or 
uh, you know, moments to be resilient. And I think that that is a, uh, incredible privilege that we have, that we can now seek these difficulties. Um, so I, I would say the best thing that we can do is learn what we need to go, learn what we need to become peaceful in of ourselves. That's the first step. You got to learn what that is, which means you got to learn about yourself, which means you got to be able to figure out where you are peaceful. And then you can build upon that and you can start applying that to other realms of your own life, which allows you to grow into the person that you can be your best right here. So you can do that every day with us here on The Collective. We'll see you tomorrow. Jimo. Jimo.